So I'm Vanessa. You're hey, John. John. Yeah. Hi, John. So I, I want to say two things. Uh, first off is I'm sorry. I've apparently moved to cricket heaven for some reason after I fed my reptiles. They all congregated in the room that I record in and I can't find them. And so you just, it's, I'm so boring. The crickets have been summoned into the room is what I'm trying to say. Also, hopefully by the time I publish this, I'm not spoiling it for her fans, but massive congratulations to Donna who does a, uh, once more with feelings and um, cabin in the woods and click. Oh, I got the snark podcast. Yeah, collective snark. Collective snark. Why can't I say collective? Anyways, you're saying it. <laughs> she's a grandma. Congratulations. I thought she was like my age, but I don't know. I can have grandkids. Yeah, well, uh, I call it circumstantial. Yeah, but anyways, no, she's super excited, and it's a very cute little girl, and congratulations to her. And uh, that those are very funny podcasts. You should all check them out. Also, I, I want to start this with uh, the exciting story of how I got in an internet fight with la some guy last night over a monkey head. Oh. So I'm, I'm, look I'm working at Las Vegas Oddities and Antiquities on Main Street. Come check us out, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I, I do the web marketing, right? So we get all of these offers. And there's one guy who's really funny. He always, everything he has, and some of it's really nice stuff, is from like Sir Francis Drake or Hitler's Bunker or, you know, John Derringer's Lint Basket. And it's, Seems you know. too good to be true. It's too good to be true. And if you don't have the paperwork, I'm not going to believe you. That's the long and short of it. It's like if you people not watched Pawn Stars, it's been on TV for how long now? Have an ex bring an expert in. <laughs> yeah, and it, my boss has literally been the expert on five episodes of Pawn Stars. Oh, <laughs> anyways, so one of the more common oddities out there is the da da da, -da shrunken head. And uh, like 99% of those are either just very nice fakes or monkeys. So, because, you know, it's it's a little more ethical and doesn't spit in the face of your religion if you shrink a monkey head, you know? Exactly. And uh, one of the easy ways you can tell is usually the hair is, like, very long and luxurious on the ones that are human. And there's just, like, some little things. But the only way to really verify that it is human 100% is to get it DNA tested. And this is a couple hundred bucks. So this guy gets on and, you know, he's, of course, got a real uh, shrunken head from the jungles of blah, 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 from a date that's like a little too late for that. And <laughs> uh, you'd think he'd at least Google the era when that was most common. Yeah, it's he, he was right on for monkey heads. I mean, it's a, it's a perfect time to get a monkey head. We sell monkey heads, by the way, about 50 to 75 bucks a pop. And we got some really nice monkey heads. It's just their monkey heads, not their monkey heads. They're not people. And the other thing is, uh, any kind of human remains, I need to see a lot of paperwork because if it's very recent import, it's illegal. If it was a stolen artifact, it's illegal. I don't want to sell this thing for a whole bunch of money and have the FBI beat down my door and take it. So. I ask him, DNA testing, have you done it? Export papers, do you have them? So no export papers, but he knows. He's an expert. I am I am the expert. Look at me. No, Look at me. I, I am the expert. 
It's it's worse if they find out I'm female. I get way talked down to. Of course. Of course. Anyways, and then he tells me he's a good guy. He's not trying to rip us off. Well, let us pay for the DNA sure. testing. We can pay for the DNA testing. Oh, I'll let you pay for the DNA testing. I'm like, we're going to pay anywhere from 250 to $500 to find out that this is like a $75 item, dude. No way. And he's like, well, you know what? I know it's a, it's like a... 13 or 12 year old boy and it's from da 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 and story bro I'll, I'll give it to you for only 15,000 <laughs> which if it is human is a steal but that's it's there's like a couple of ways you can tell somebody's trying to rip you off okay they're way too pushy or the deal is way too good for no reason exactly yeah and so I'm just like oh yeah um that born yesterday turnip truck i fell off of geez so i i i did something i don't usually do and i texted my boss late at night and i'm like dude you is there any way because this guy's driving me nuts he's being really aggressive and he's like there's no way that's real just look at the hair and i'm like i know i know so i i got the privilege of texting texting this jerk back and being like hey so this is the deal. The owner of my shop, I showed this to him. He's been in this market for 45 years. And at one point, he literally had the biggest private collection of human remains, including Egyptian mummies in, in the world. And uh, he says it's fake and I'll give you $25 for it. <laughs> Talk about that is that feels like something straight out of Ponsers. Well, you were asking for fifteen thousand. Um, I'm afraid I can only offer you twenty five. Yeah, you know the McElroy brothers talked about how they always wanted to see an antiques roadshow where somebody just like smashed their head on the desk and started saying "fuck" over and over again for like fifteen <laughs> minutes. So I I asked my boss, who may or may not have hosted it in Scottsdale, uh, you know. Did you ever have something come in where somebody had done something to the uh, item and you just wanted to, you know, smash your head on the desk and say fuck over and over again? He's like, oh, yeah, I've told some of these people they're fucking idiots. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Apparently, he had one guy that brought in a it was a 17th century tiara worth a quarter mil easy. Mm hmm. But it takes a while to sell something that, that is that expensive because not everybody's got a quarter mil sitting in their back pocket that they can just blow. And not everybody who has that quarter mil is in the market for tiaras. Yeah, so he couldn't sell it fast enough, so he chopped it up into earrings. <laughs> so he took this, like, quarter million dollar item and made it worth, like, thirty, forty thousand $40,000. <laughs> oh... And, I, and this is where I love my boss. He's like, I told him he was an idiot and that he should go to hell for destroying something that beautiful. And then I bought one of the pairs of earrings off of him so I could prove he did it. <laughs> you gave him money. That's like not what you do. Anyway. Uh, well, he was still able to be like, look, I want to I, I be able to show people just how much of an idiot this, this, this guy yeah. is. I want proof of idiocy. He's like, I'll, I'll pull it out of the the safe sometime and show them to you like the stones are really valuable and you'll totally just smack yourself in the head and i'm like you'll, yeah you'll slam your face into the desk and just scream fuck, fuck, yeah, fuck pretty much fuck. pretty much and then also i've learned from some of my boss's store mistakes never 
he didn't do this, but never take the patina off of ivory. Patina no. being... The, like, uh, age coat that things get. Do you know how uh, silver tarnish is? That's technically a patina. Okay, so it's it's like the natural coating that some items will get over time? It like depends on what the item is. With ivory, it's just kind of a, like, sign of age and wear, and it gives it, like, a depth and color that... You know, you can have it be just, like, bone white, because it is bone, but it's less valuable that way. It's, you know, there's a big controversy on if you should buff silver or not. I say never be afraid to clean your silver or gold items. Just know that some collectors like them in different levels of tarnish. Yeah. Anyway. It all depends on how much you're in the market for it. So this is not Phantom of the Podcast. This is Vanessa Talks About the Oddity Store. Welcome to... (laughs) Welcome, Welcome to-, to Las Vegas Oddities with John and Van- with Vanessa and John. I, yeah. I almost gave myself top billing for no reason. No, Hi, I'm in Ohio. Let's talk about it. Vegas Oddities. Yeah, I know it's like Ohio Oddities with John John Jingleheimer uh, Schmidt. Um, the only Ohio oddity I can think of off the top of my head are the dingbats near my work that ride around in a lifted truck with and uh, waving like a, jo- a giant Confederate flag out of the bed of the truck. Because of course. You're- you're in Ohio. I'm. <laughs> I'm Ohio. Ohio fought in the Union. Yeah. For those what who the don't hell? remember history. And it's not like this truck had a Tennessee, you know, license plate on it or anything. Yeah, or Kentucky. You know, yeah, those like close by southern states that would make it make sense. No, I'm I think sure. Kentucky fought in the Union too. So no, they didn't. <laughs> Did they? They were southern. I thought it was Mason that. Anyway, um... The Mason-Dixon line is in, like, Maryland. Anyways. Anyway, this is not a history podcast. This is not, unless it's the history of the Phantom of the Opera. But yeah, you know what? As somebody whose roots are primarily Southern, I want to say the rebel flag is offensive to people of color, and you just advertise to everybody that you're an asshole by waving it. It's like having a swastika tattoo, only the American version. Yes, and Stellan Cold Steve Austin says the same thing. In fact, there's been a post going around, uh, it was on Reddit recently, where uh, someone screenshotted uh, a conversation, I think it was on Stone Cold's Facebook page, that someone's like, well, it's about cultural heritage, this is our Southern pride, and Stone Cold is in all caps like, no, your thing is stupid and racist, quit hiding behind heritage and history. Oh, yeah. No, trust me, every white winger that's like a white supremacist out there is like pro-south in the civil war or they, and they're related to some confederate and as somebody who's actually descended from confederate and union soldiers but mostly confederate soldiers i would like to say you're all a bunch of assholes as someone who is a descendant of immigrants i would also like to uh, uh you know second that i'm okay. not a descendant of immigrants my honky ass ancestors just magically appeared here <laughs> I know mine, a specific one of mine, one of my, uh, I guess, grand cousins or whatever, whatever the long his, whatever the family tree would be. One of them was was born on the boat on the way here from Europe. Nice. So, I mean, I'm, I've got like boat people coming over. <laughs> okay, John, if that's, that's okay. All right. So anyway, on to the topic at hand. Let's talk the about Phantom something less horrifying. Uh, Robert England as the Phantom. Yeah, I hated this way less than I thought I would. Right? Because I went into it, I'm like, okay, this is going to be Freddy Cougar of the opera. Apparently it's sometimes released as Freddy the Musical. 
Um, he's not even, he doesn't need, it, like, I wish he had the makeup for the Freddy. Freddy's way more wacky, too. Like, this this character is not wacky. Oh, he's, no, exactly. He's he's subtle. This is he's sarcastic. Weird. Yeah, but it's very dry. You could just miss it. Exactly. It's, it, this is not the campiness of a Friday the 13th. Yeah, it's like, will I see your face? Yes, and you will die. Oh, yeah, it's... it's the worst he gets is like towards the end, but even then, it's like like it's, it's anyway. Um, well, he's we all should... coked up in the eighties in the end, so that's why <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, the pre- the idea is it's a quote unquote present day reinterpretation. Although they then flash back to I want to say Victorian England, eighteen eighty one. Yes. Yes, it's not is, in Paris, it's in England. And Christine, both times, is for some reason an American. Weird, I guess you didn't want to do the accent. We're all living in America. America she gets the thing, no. So I'm surprised, the they did, I'm surprised they didn't, you know, go for something more authentic and say, oh, she's also coming into to England from France or something. She uh, back to the source well, she's somehow. Swedish it originally, like yeah, is so, it Swedish or is it Swiss? God damn it, Europe. Swedish is um Sweden, Swiss is she's not yeah, she's goes it's across um from France, so it's Swedish. Yeah, it's, it's they both make good chocolate. This is hard. This is hard. <laughs> One makes Swiss army knives. <laughs> One makes army knives and clocks and is hiding is hiding Nazi gold. Yes, there you go. So is the Vatican. It's all a conspiracy. Anyways. Anyways. Uh, yeah, so, she's an American opera singer. Very good. She starts opera out She starts out in singer. 1980s New York. Like, one of the open... The opening, like, credit scene is really, like, a pan shot of New York City in the 80s. Yeah, starting with the Twin Towers. I know. Oh, it hurts. So, oh. And for those of not, you out there who were not aware of what the Twin Towers were, ask your parents... Ask your older brothers and sisters if you have them. Yeah, anyways. so she remembered the life before the Twin Towers. I I do. And I remember the weirdness that was like whole city shut down the days after. I got the day off of school. And that's what I cared about because I had no idea what the hell was going on. I was uh, in college, so. I was in seventh grade. (laughs) Old Vanessa is old. Anyways, Anyways, so so Christine is a sassy New Yorker girl who is working with her friend Meg to find a unique piece operatic score to sing at a tryout. So they scour the New York library and at midnight find Don Juan Triumphant. Yes. Oh, and it's from Eric something or another. Dessler. 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 And that's a long lost score of Eric Dessler. He was a serial killer and a murderer and just an all around bad guy, but he wrote really good music. And okay. if you're in the fandom, like fan fiction communities, that's kind of tens, that's kind of Eric's adopted last name. There's not other accounts that really yeah, ever I'm, give I'm him a last way. name. Um, Sometimes they'll like add ones from like characters that are supposed to be related to him in other versions, but Dessler, there you go. This is apparently, you know, I had never watched this version before and it's pretty seminal. I hear it referenced a lot in people's retellings. And I have to say that most of the fan fiction out there is like, 
oh, this is how I, the modern day girl, am like reincarnated. Or have like try and travel back. I have the reincarnation, Christine, and, uh, the, and I'm remembering my past life with the Phantom. So this is reincarnated Christine. She opens up the score and sees blood on her hands that emerges from the pages. And, and she a takes crazy, it. kooky, like almost CG animation, I want to say. Yeah, that was that was actually some pretty good CGI, the like blood seeping up out of the notes. I'm sure it's a reverse shot. Or something, yeah. Because, like, you know the really famous scene in Hellraiser where Frank, or, yeah, Frank Cotton first raises up out of the floor and is, like, the skeleton that's all gooey and gross. That's a reverse CG. It actually melted instead of raised, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So, Christine goes to the audition. Meg's playing the piano. So, Meg Gary, and this is, like, a librarian. Uh, yeah, she worked. That, that's the thing that got me. It's, like... She works at the, like, I guess, NYU Music Library or something? Yeah. And they've got this, like, old English serial killer slash opera scene. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, it's it's, it's a weird it's, setup. But it, it all leads up to uh, Yeah, it's all, it all comes together. And uh, it leads into a stagehand accidentally dropping something that smashes a mirror and sends uh, our Christine back to 1881. So it's a sandbag. And what are you supposed okay. to say when you drop a sandbag in theater, John? It's been a while. Um, heads. Because it's tight. Heads up. You just say, I always have just up. heard heads, but you're the one with a while. I, most, of my the, most of my theaters never had sandbag um, setups. It was either just regular rope pulleys or too cheap to <laughs> even require those kind of pulley systems. Modernity is Okay, so 1881, Christine wakes up having just experienced a similar accident by an From, idiot um, stagehand. Wait, wasn't it still, um, what's his name, Joe? Yeah, it, that, it's all the same people, just like, yeah, they, they, they dropped the, the same like, name from as uh, the guy who was killed in the in the book. So that, so they, so Joseph they, Bouquet. That's it. Uh, so, you know what? Do we need to go over the flashcards again? Because I'm starting to worry about you. It's been too long. Flashcard time. Flashcard time. So, uh, I don't think you're a real fan. I'm. A, I, Vanessa's gonna keep me on, my, on our own podcast. No, you know what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna like make Josh, who's contacted us on Facebook, Josh Copeland. I'm gonna make him put fan. together. Yeah, we have a like a pretty good fan, Josh. You're awesome, and he's been doing some like data digging for me, which is nice. He's got a whole bunch of versions that he's willing to share that. I was otherwise going to have to like go out and comb the boonies for and yeah. anything that spares me annoying time digging through crap, which is because that's what I do kind of for a living. As long um, as Josh doesn't put on a half uh, Harlequin mask and start yeah, haunting us, we should be no, good. He's going he's gonna to do that to you and he's going to put together <laughs> a PowerPoint presentation about who the characters are. And every time you get it wrong, he's going to smack you with a stick. And if you get it wrong enough times, I'm going to give him your kidney. Okay. Uh, so your kidneys so are on the line. Joseph Bouquet, uh, once again, brought up from the book, but he drops the sandbag in 1881, which leads to Eric just flat out stabbing him and hanging him. And like, yeah. full on, that, like, this is full on carnage. Like, I know. And the scene that leads up to that is so great because it's just like, because he's also like, 
gossiped about the Phantom, which if you've learned anything from these adaptations of the Phantom, don't fucking gossip about the Phantom. Even if he like gets in your face and is like, hey dog, what's up? And shakes your hand, you never admit that that happened. Um, so he like, he, he like comes in, he's all smooth and is like drinking and is all like, oh, so what happened? Huh? Oh, it's that Phantom? That's funny. I'm the Phantom. You're murdered dead. Good night. And it's all, although I'll give it this, the horror sequences are not as gory as you would see in other, in like the Friday the 13th movies or anything like Dario Argento has done before. Or Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Because this That's is right. a, it's, this, it's uh, Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger. It's, it's Robert England playing the fan of the opera. Way, horror movies from the 80s were a lot gorier than this. This is actually pretty tame as far as gore concerns. Yeah, I mean, there still are gory scenes. Like, if you're watching this, I would reconsider with small children unless they're just really... Oh, no, I would not watch this with children. I, this is There's a lot of body horror in this. Another thing I've learned at the, um, the oddity store is that some children are very brave and hard to upset, and I, that was not the case with me, but whatever. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's something we should probably transition to next. The Phantom does not wear a mask in this version. Of sorts. He wears but a unlike mask. unlike fans in Argento, it, there's not a cop out. He's not just like creepy psychic rat dude. He's like he's, sewing a fake. He is Ed Dean. He is Ed yeah. Dean. Essentially, this is like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre of the Opera. Exactly. Um. So the backstory for the Phantom that we discover pretty early on is that he was like a Mozart era composer. And much in this parallels Faust being played on the stage mm -hmm. with Christine very beautifully. And uh, like Faust, he makes a deal to... With the little devil. The little person devil. So, the, the you know, the Tyrion Lancaster devil. <laughs> Lannister. Lannister. Lancaster is a city in Pennsylvania. Lancaster is actually the Plantagenet line that the War of the Roses, that Game of Thrones based on, ideas yeah. is from. Yeah, so. Anyway, yes, the uh, little person, who played, whatever character played him, it was a little person playing the devil so, uh, with two, you know, models at his side. And he's like, you know, you want to be remembered, don't you? And he's, and, and Robert Eng, look, you know, Robert Englund looking like Robert Englund did. And then they scarred him. All of Freddy Krueger, but not never quite as harsh. It's the scarring is the payment for what happens. It's like people will know your music forever. You'll be really famous, but no one will ever love you because you're an ugly schmuck. Exactly, and it's and actual it's, scarring. Like yeah, it's like, good makeup for the scar tissue. He's got some nasty face rot going on, and it's it's like it looks like it's contagious, which is something that makes most girls back off. I'm just saying. Exactly. So to deal with this, he kills people, skins them, and then stitches their skin on so that he temporarily has normal-looking skin and uses, like, really heavy stage makeup. To hide the... the paste it in. Yeah, to hide yeah, basically, the stitch work. And it's whatnot. like, you know, in, in mortician dressings, there's basically flesh spackle. Because, <laughs> you know, people, you, you're face sinks in real bad exactly. so they fulfill it so he's basically using that like corpse face spackle how it doesn't crack when he talks i don't know but it's a whole let's just you know it's, it's the conceit of him maybe that's part of the devil skin into the into his own face yeah it's like this is the least of the problems with what he's doing um it's but it does like that. yeah even with the makeup on he looks 
like he looks like he's had like plastic surgery done or something. He's yeah, they not him, quite normal. He's he's got like an uncanny valley thing going on for sure. Um, but so, yeah, we cut back to Christine, who has who, and we do have a Carlotta in this. Yes, um, we do, and this is one of the better Carlottas. She is obnoxious. She's out to get people, but it's much more like subtle and understanding and like you have a reason to hate her because she's using the critics and her fans to like pan Christine when Christine's the better performer. Right, exactly. It's it's standard diva personification without the without really going over the top with it. Yeah, and it's not she's not like just unnecessarily mean or there for her job and that makes her bad. It's She's actually just kind of a like backstabbing bitch when she doesn't have a reason to yeah, be. She thinks she's hot. She thinks she's hot shit, and this and the new hotness is coming to kick her old busted out, and she's not taking it. She's frets and she's hooking up with Bill Nighy uh, of uh, Love Actually fame and uh, Shaun of the Dead fame. You'll know Bill Nighy, uh, N I G H Y. He's the other known actor in this movie. Okay. I thought he's, he looked familiar. Yeah, he he plays two. He plays one of the theater owners, and he's and he's got a thing for Carlotta. Like he's out. Yeah. He does not care one bit about Christine. He's all about Carlotta. Yeah, and so once again, like this Carlotta's character makes a little more sense in this context. The other interesting thing is there's no Raoul. No, our Raoul is replaced with the other theater owner, which I came to figure out. It yeah, took me a while, but it never mentions it, but I remember him talking to Bill Nighy. They they talk about them both owning the theater, saying, we're in this together. So he is the second theater owner, and he's also the love interest. And they're, like, attributing the salary and leaving the box open to superstitious theater people, which was kind of a nice touch, like, to address that. And, like, it kind of makes more sense in the book in some ways. Like, they're, oh, we're, we're just kind of going... But it's also a lot smaller sum of money than it is in the book. Because in the book, it's, like, 20,000 francs, which I'm going to, you know... I think that equates to, like, 200 Probably. grand USD yeah. now. Exactly, with inflation and whatnot. It may even be pushing, like, half a million, maybe. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's in the... I will say the Raoul character I kind of struggled with, because he's easily confused with the detective that's supposed to be the Persian the other thing. assistant Darius. Yeah, that's the other thing. We don't have we've lost our Persian and we've got a, and we've replaced him with a Scotland Yard detective who's investigating and who apparently knows Eric once again knows Eric, has a history with Eric. They don't explain that very well though. That's all it it, it feels like a tie into Jack the Ripper of sorts, because I think that was about the same time. This I, we'll get to this later, but this definitely ties into uh, Dorian Gray, which I think is part of why they might have moved it to England. That and so they didn't have to worry about French act, French accents. I guess because God, those are bad in so many adaptations. So basically, Christine, her performance is great, but the critics pan her. She gets upset. She goes to a graveyard to pray at Daddy's grave. Uh, Richard has asked her to marry him during this and kind of follows her to the graveyard eventually to discover Eric running off with Christine. Oh no. And there's like red lights and all these hints that like something metaphysical, like beyond just an it's, ordinary it's kidnapping. Yeah. It's, it's the best interpretation of that scene from the book. It's nice to see the like fake 
the metal cross instead of the like you know great big vaults that you see in the musical versions because yeah. you have to have a lot of money to have a vault yeah it's yeah exactly he, i think he's just standing on the mausoleum there and inviting enticing her in with the violin and then bringing her into a the other thing that happens while all that's been going on is that eric has been going on a killing spree oh yeah He's a murder man. After all of the panning by the critics, which was orchestrated by Bill Nighy in order to bring people back to Carlotta, in his words, because Carlotta brings in more money, she has more prestige. And I mean, these are true. I don't know how much money, because they still had the money and it's just some people left, but most people pretty much stayed. So, you know, he he's only going off of what he knows instead of risking having Christine there and building up her prestige and also because he wants to bone carlotta i mean you, you you love who you love exactly so he so eric goes around killing the critic who panned her and uh killing a bunch of vagrants which made me think which is what made me think of um hooking up you know hooking up with uh you know ladies of the evening yes i forgot about that part he finds a whore who looks wildly like christine and tells her tonight your name is Christine. Ooh. Exactly. It's definitely creepy. But yeah, like all the, all the, once again, all, it, there's a body count in this one. There much really more is. Than, much more than any other interpretation we've seen aside. I don't know how big the body count was in Argento's. I tend not to think about it. Yeah, it's the Argento one is like, it's very forgettable. Like all the kill stuff is like, so ridiculous! you're just like i don't i don't even want to hold on to this let it go exactly here it's, it's like really good slasher style stabbings and carvings and just ugh. see i kind of like i tuned out for some of that because i'm like all right it's more slasher stuff whatever yeah because so like some of them i'm like i don't know how much this really moves the story along but we know eric's like an evil serial killing douche so maybe, exactly it's more it's know. more like upping his body count and also you know, building up his skin collection. Yeah. Skin, the other thing they they um you know they make sure it's known is that the skin dies on his face, and he has to reapply new skin, or else he'll start to rot. That skin will also start to rot. Yeah, and the scenes where he's clipping it off and like it hurts, and he's like just kind of slowly, yeah. you know, you you do you feel for him because you see how he's like paying for this. So let's get to let's get to the Christine abduction and like kind of move this along so we yeah. can get some more of our opinions in. Exactly. Um, he makes her wed him for music and have a wedding night. So it's totally and a, a ring like, that uh that won't come off. It, the ring her ring does not come off. It's like one yeah. size too small. And uh, it, there it's totally like pan left, and you know sex happens if that right. makes sense. Yeah, it's. Which is funny, because, like, we're okay with the, like, gross stabby bits, but no, no fucking, no fucking, exactly. guys. If you want that, you gotta watch the Argento version and Seriously. see Sans's narrow white boy ass. And, uh, so, the only thing she really gets upset about in this part is that she's just, you know, she doesn't have a choice, they're married. Exactly, it's... According it's, to the Church of Eric. Yeah, she, I mean, she's... But even though she's been obsessed with him and the idea that this is her mentor, the idea of her autonomy being taken away from her is what really yeah. rubs her the wrong way. And that's yeah, where and, it really starts to go bad. And it, 
it kind of moves on like the the scenes where he takes his face off or after that and I'm trying to figure out how this transitions from that to like the mask ball but I think after that she's just still really upset that she's been forced into marriage and you know he lets her know you can't see Richard again exactly and so there's the mask ball scene was really nice in this one the costumes are all pretty period um they're fun and colorful uh, however, he does dance with Carlotta, and in this version, Carlotta gets decapitated. Straight up, and her head gets put in the punch bowl. Yeah, they like totally or ladle out her ball. head. Ladle out her head. Mmm, mm. ladle. Does, it, does anyone want any long pork soup? It's a little Frenchy tonight. I'm surprised they didn't offer ladyfingers. I know, right? That would have been awesome. I'll just wrap them up in a little croissant with some chocolate drizzled on top, and you can spit out the fingernail when you're done. So, yeah, and that's that's kind of the mass ball thing. She, of course, sees Richard, not Raul, when she's not supposed to, and they kind of talk, and there's no chandelier crash in this one. Yeah, it was missing that scene. But Wikipedia said that it might have been because they didn't have the budget. That Which makes sense, because this is, this is this was produced by one of the founders of Canon Pictures, who was a known cheapskate. Oh, yeah. I, I love... Oh, God. I didn't realize this was canon. This wasn't officially canon. I think canon had gone under by this point, but it's the same producer. Okay. Yeah, because it... Um, there's a really great documentary on canon films. Uh, I know this is 21st century, which confuses me because Universal's the more... Anyways, I don't know why this was made. We'll get into that later. Yeah. Um. So, basically, it ends up in the long term... While Eric and his very like Lon Chaney reference Red Death outfit drags Christine off, uh, the only people who kind of make it to the end of his lair, and they're led by the Rat Catcher this time, and not Madame Gary. She's not in this. Yeah, there is no Meg is an adult, and there is no Madame Gary. Yeah, so the only people that kind of make it to the end are the Inspector and Raoul, and they both get killed. Yeah. Like, Raul is set on fire, stabbed, and kicked into a pit. And um, the, there is a like a deputy following along who is the first. Yeah, Darius. Yeah, and then let's just uh, let's call him Deputy Dog. Deputy Dog gets 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 the. I forget what I think he. It was one of those kind of like the phantoms messing messing with his with his head. Yeah, kind of scenes, and, and he, then. He, he cuts him open and pulls his heart out. It, it's kind of, I wish it would have been like Indiana Jones, and like that he's taking a bite out of it. Something like, exactly. Did that happen in Indiana Jones? Oh, well. uh, I don't think he bit it. I think he just took it out. And that's the, and in order to sell the toy, they created the PG-13 rating later on. There we go. So because they wanted to sell that to a toy of Kalima taking a plastic heart out of a victim to kids. <laughs> I mean, what kid doesn't want that? Seriously. Anyways. Uh, yeah, so everyone's dead. Eric's like, Christine, you can never leave here. And she's kind of like trapped in this pseudo MC Escher, like under the opera cave labyrinth, which there's no rhyme or reason why it's there. They just kind of toss that on at the end. But uh, so, yeah, she uh, sets fire to everything and smashes the mirror that Eric had there that seems to kind of be like what was holding his soul. Was it that or was it like a, a mirror that he used to go up and down easily? 
It was, but I kind of felt like it had this like Dorian Gray link. But anyways, it doesn't matter because he's not really dead. Twist of twists. Uh, we cut back to the modern day, and Christine wakes up and finds Robert England. Yeah, he's he's right standing over here. He's the like founder and composer. And hey, baby, you want to hang out? You seem nice. Well, he's, I think he's just the producer. He's just the financier of the show. And he's like, and then they go back to his apartment, and he's like, oh my god, I'm so sorry about this. Hey, want to have dinner? Yeah. It's... Takes her back to his place, which is just you know standard eighties. Uh, New York rich guy apartment. apartment. Exactly. And then she goes over to his 80s era synthesizer like music setup. Yeah. And uh, Don Juan triumphant there. And she's like, what? She even accidentally starts playing it. It's like, and it's the MIDI version. Exactly. She puts in the floppy disk. She's like, future shock. What? And, and then we also cut back to um, the producer in his room. Revealing cryogenically frozen masks. Human flesh masks. Mm. And then he comes down and just like, so you see, so you, so you understand, or like, you, you see, Christine, we were always meant to be together. And he gets all creepy about it. Yeah. And so she then like pretends to like aggressively kiss him and he's kind of into it. He's like, yeah, I'll pull my hair. That's nice. And then she rips his face off, and he's got charred meatball face. Yep, charred meatball face. Not quite Freddy Krueger face. Side of side of meatball, extra charred. So, and I'm not saying you know like like the onions. I mean like you know you cooked it too long. Yeah. Can I say charred again? Charred, charred, charred. Anyways, Charmander, the Charmander of the opera. Anyway. Oh, I would watch that version. And you'd be uh, in love with Bulbasaur. Can't. You know, it'd be like a Gardevoir, one of those really fem- feminine Pokemon. Bulbasaur, Bulbasaur. Anyway, um, and uh, what? How does he kill? Her? I think she just stabs him. She Doesn't... rips his face off first. Right, and then he, and then it's that the horror of oh my god, that's what his face looks like. And she stabs him and decide, and you know the 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 legend was like. You have to destroy his music to destroy him. So she like throws his the paper she printed, the disc that has it, like down the sewer grate. Uh, apparently, she doesn't understand how hard drives work. I know. I'm like, yeah, you just stuck Did it. You like burned down the apartment or something? Did you learn nothing from your past life? I know, right? Just set everything on fire and leave. And then I'm like, the whole time I'm like, okay, is she gonna go burn the manuscript now? Because that still exists. And it's kind of got, like, his blood in it. Like, we saw that scene. Exactly. But, no, instead, it's, it's just her walking up into the night as yeah, the theme to uh, the opera is played by a mysterious street violinist. So, yeah, you wonder if Eric's still alive or not, and he's just letting her go at this point. Because he told her he wanted her to make a, like, free will choice. Also, uh, this was supposed to be the lead into a sequel! You know, it also, like... If you look at the ending of this and compare it to the first Hellraiser, it's very much like how Christy Cotton and her boyfriend are just kind of walking away with the cube and that monster shows up and takes it so you know that, like, the evil is going to continue. Exactly. It's a standard horror movie trope where it's like, the evil isn't really dead. Yeah, it's like how you never... Stay tuned next time, huh? Well, how many times have they killed Freddy Krueger and then he's not dead? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, understatement. So, 
there was supposed to be a sequel. I did learn this. Eventually, they could not get the financing for it, so they instead turned the script that would have been uh, the sequel. Get out of here, notification. Uh, into Dance Macabre. Which it's macabre. You just say macabre. Yeah, okay. okay, so there was, a, they made a movie called Dance Macabre with um, Robert Englund in it. Yeah. And that was supposed to be the sequel to this movie, but I'm we'll, not... I'm we'll watch it at some point. Um, jo- Josh has it, and he's willing to let us watch it, but, like, Josh has every, It's frightening with that. Exactly. Like, he's... I'm also not seeing it on Wikipedia anywhere. Oh, wow. It's not even good enough for a Wikipedia entry. Hey, let me go to it. Maybe it's on, it's on under the Dance Macabre. Macabre. Um, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this back up. I, I don't understand why this film was made in the first place. Like, I looked up the director, and he's, yeah, he's just... He's a yeah. shit director. I think he's now like done a couple episodes of like Bones and yeah. Dollhouse, which I'm sorry, Dollhouse was stupid. Yeah, I never got into that. Everything Josh Whedon touches does not turn to gold. Seriously, I, I've been going through the same thing with Chris with Christopher Nolan fans. Yeah, it's... Dunkirk. Uh, but apparently, Dance Macabre was is a, essentially something similar. It's a horror movie uh, set against ballet dancers instead. Okay. But dance, yeah, Men- my angel of dancing, dance. But yeah, Menahem Golan of Canon Produ- of Canon Pictures is the one who's producing oh these for some reason. Yeah, that it makes way more sense because I think that guy would literally like produce somebody filming a pile of shit if there were like dongs and or explosions. Exactly. If he can somehow make a buck on it and he can make it cheap, he'll do it. <laughs> And, you know, he was responsible for a lot of early careers, and there were actually some good films that come out of canon. I can't remember the good ones off the top of my head, but Not it, the it makes sense. Movies. Uh, maybe Delta Force if you're into that, but he also did Over the Top. Yeah, it's... he did. It, it, like I said, once again, that the documentary on canon films is very much worth watching. Um, um, it, they Dr. had a huge Conway. effect on your childhood if you were alive in the 80s or 90s, I promise. Oh, yeah. Um, so I want to, I want to talk about Eric's layer in this one because we've seen a lot of layers and so far I want to, I'm going to say this is one of my favorites. Oh yeah. I think it's probably, it's probably the, you know, aside from like the musical version, which had a bigger production budget to work with, it's probably one of the best and most well thought out layers See, but my problem with the musical version, especially the 2004 film, is that it's a very flat layer. Like, for some reason, he has a cave and he has a ledge. And there's also uh, lights that come out of the water perfectly lit. Candles perfectly lit coming out of the water. I think that that was Christine hallucinating on ether, but okay. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, hopefully it was that. Not, they're not just, it's not just <laughs> really that's, stupid physics defying garbage. Yeah, instead of building a decent house, he like got fixated on the like late candles and going, never did anything I'm going to put, make a pulley system so that the candles will rise fully lit out of the I water. I'm going to have to do this with some kind of gas flame because, anyways, we're getting <laughs> way into, way too into late candles. Exactly. It's, you got to uh, min- minimize your late candle there. obsession. This is the problem. best designed uh, layer we've seen so far. Yeah, you can see how he's made it into a house. I would not want to 
light all of the candles in it without like a flamethrower, but you know, I'm lazy. Yeah. But like you can see he has like books and the organs well incorporated and the like it's like a rough cage thing. I feel like this is a layer you would uncover in like Skyrim or something. Exactly. It's like a nice it's an it's an interesting kind of dungeon aesthetic. Well yeah, like rough hewn underground house cave. Right. Yeah, which means if all those candles go out, it's going to be dark as fuck down there, but whatever. <laughs> you know, I, I can't really think, like, he has him jump over, like, a, 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 a drainage ditch and, like, walk a whole lot, but I don't think that there's a, like, boat on a lake thing, which is very fancy. Nah, it's mostly just the rats in the sewer that I can think of. Yeah, and he pays a guy to get rid of those, so. And then the rat guy rats him out. Ha ha! Aha! Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But then he also locks the people in, so he so he know because he knows I know where my money comes from. I ain't letting you guys back out. But he still gets killed, so whatever, killed exactly. and skinned because that's yeah. how this guy rolls. So yeah, I mean, but like the layer is it's I'm gonna I'm gonna say that's the best phantom layer in my opinion so far. Oh yeah, hands I mean, down. We can fight over this, but I'm just gonna win because I'm meaner. <laughs> Also, I don't know what else would replace it. Like the twenties one, there's much of a layer. The forties one, not you know, it's they're all kind of set like, and the music, even the movie version of the musical one, looks like just the stage setting of the layer in the musical. Doesn't, yeah, it's not really a fully formed. The like the most three dimensional one we've seen really is like the Argento one, and even that just looks cheap. Like they filled in actual uh, caves. You know, let's just film in actual caves. Yeah, those were, uh, they're famous caves in, like, South Italy, I think. Exactly. So it was all, so this is something that actually looks like it was, there was production design work behind it. Yeah, and it has, like, a gravitas to it that's nice. Um, so this Eric, let's talk about him a little bit. He's this a super. Is, he's definitely him. crazy. Like, there's no uh, pretending that he's just a dark, tortured soul that can be redeemed. Like, the redemption thing is just not here in this narrative. He is the most monstrous of the Phantoms. So he's, he's, they, they fully embody him as a killer rather than as just the tortured soul, which is what you normally see with him. Yeah, before Raul, like, charges in, like, he's totally gonna nasty-faced rape Christine. Like... He's unapologetic about it. He's like, this is just your future. Get used to it. Right. I mean, this is a guy who is, you know, is very, is very much unhinged. Just kiss my goo face. Just give me a little kiss right here on the gooey bits of my goo face. Demonic, demonic meatball face. A demonic. Yeah. I like how, like in the later versions, there's that little bit of bone sticking through. Um. Yeah. He's. This is probably. I will say, why would it? Make, why would he? The other than the skit, yeah. You know, other than the horror aspect of it, there's really no sense for him to wear other people's skin on his face. He could just wear the mask. Yeah, mask and a wig. He's good. Um, I don't. It's just the horror element. Exactly. Like it doesn't it's make sense. Point. It doesn't they, make they sense. Want, it's just to show how like twisted and demented he is. Look, he's evil. Ed Geeny skin it, skinning people. After their de- after he murders them, kind of thing. It's it's for shock value more than you know, you know, logic or reason. Yeah, and it's I want to cover 
the version with Charles Dance soon, which is the 1991 miniseries. That's right, Tywin Lannister is a very famous version of the Phantom of the Opera on uh, TV and stage. Um, so I, you know, and it's, I feel he has a real dry wit in that from what I remember, because it's been a long time. And I feel like this is the only one where the Phantom's like, he's like sarcastic and kind of funny. And that like plays into how dark he is because there's part of him that like, like he just gives so little of a fuck. It's a joke to him. Exactly. Like all these people are nothing to him. And so he has no problem cut, you know, cutting them down where he needs to. And the only one that really matters is Christine. I can't say, though, that this is very close to the book because oh, no. that is a redeemable character. Like, Christine has the Christ reference in her name because she is a redeemer. Exactly. Um, this, this, guy, is, this is probably the only thing less like the book than this was the Argento one. Yeah, but I still don't mind this adaptation. It's watchable, oh, no, it's, it's interesting, but it's totally based on. It's like... Based the same way Atomic Blonde was based on that graphic novel by Oni Press. Yeah, it's like it's like the soy dream version of like high end ice cream. Exactly. Yeah, it's 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 it's, 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 it's close enough. It's right, close guys? enough. It's it's really kind it's of like, its own thing. It's like saying it's like giving somebody frozen yogurt when they said they wanted ice cream. Yeah, don't don't go in expecting ice cream but if you expect something that does homage to ice cream you're gonna be okay exactly um and that's i kind of wish they'd given this a different name like uh song at midnight because that's once again a very good homage to the phantom of the opera but it's kind of not the phantom of the opera it's the dichotomy of hollywood where they feel like they need the name recognition even though the storyline different, dip, you know, differs from it wildly, so they just need people to know, hey, this is the Phantom. Come watch the Phantom because they know people know that name. Phantom, Phantom, Phantom. Phantom, 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 Pokemon. He's a Pokemon now. Phantom, Phantom, Phantom. No, that one would just yell Christine, even though its name was Phantom. There you go. I'm surprised Pokemon's never done a Phantom of the Opera style thing with a Pokemon yet. Yet, or that we know about. Josh will tell us if there is. I've watched enough Pokemon. I, I don't. The closest I remember was there was a Bulbasaur thing where there was like tentacles. Well, the vines were like tentacles coming out of the sewer, and it was a giant Bulbasaur living down there. Nice. I love Bulbasaur. He's my favorite. Bulbasaur is best starter. There is no question. Bulbasaur. Anyways, if you he's the best ever. Best- if you want to argue, if you want to argue that Bulbasaur is not the best, then you're wrong. If it I, doesn't, I will fight you. I will. And then with, I'll hit you with my stuffed Bulbasaur. So, uh, yeah, this is very different. Yeah, like the autonomy, not like the, not, not as a, convincing as the forty-three, but very close. Exactly, better than what we usually get. Um, it's it's she is not a sexy lamp in this version. Yeah, and like you can't. The story, well, I mean, even without the time travel elements, there's no story without her. Exactly. And yet, and while the, most of the stuff happens around her, when it does involve her, she does play more of a role than you would normally expect. She's not just the simple damsel in distress, especially towards the end. It's both uh, Yeah, times. I mean, there's no other version of the Phantom I can think of where she, like, attacks Eric. 
Exactly. Which is more realistic. If some dude's trying to dra drag you off into the dark, you're gonna... You're, you're eventually gonna fight back. Exactly. If there's, um, any of, if there's any ounce of, you know, fight or flight when you, you're gonna find a way to get away. Yeah, it's gonna be one or the two, and in most versions, I mean, in most versions, she's drugged, to be fair. But even when she comes out of the drugging, she's just like, okay, I'll just go along because oh, no. I'm scared. I hope Raul will come and find me. And she's not kidnapped long enough to really have that level of Stockholm Syndrome, in my opinion. But then LaRue, that, I mean, that wasn't even a thing when he wrote it. So, exactly. um, yeah. So, and she doesn't use Richard as a crutch in this. He kind of, it's his own impetus to, like, help. Exactly. He wants to save Christine because he loves her. And it's not, but, it, you know, he doesn't necessarily need to save Christine. She can, you know, she can always fight back. It's just he wants to help her. Well, and in the end, when he's stabbed with the candle holder and, set, you know, after catching fire, like, she's left her her own devices and still takes the Phantom out. Exactly. So, so I mean, she'll fight, she fights back before he comes. I think she fights back a little bit before he comes down. Yeah. And then even after they fight, she's still willing to fight back. So this is the most proactive we've really seen her. Yeah, and that's that's nice. It's kind of a brush of a, a brush of a breath of fresh air compared breath to the other versions. A <laughs> brush of fresh air. A breath of fresh uh, I should learn to talk. Anyways, we I'm talk just, for a living. It's very weird to me that I'm like not sitting in front of a computer fixing web page bullshit. So, uh yeah, and so and I'll also say like this is one of the Raouls I mind the least. I'm still gonna hold it helps the that he's not actually Raoul. He's a it does. He's Richard. He's got motivations beyond just romance. Exactly. It's also not like he's also not some rich playboy, you know, taking advantage of a young, you know, opera one of the opera singer and ballet dancer. He is the theater owner who just happens to really like this girl. But it's well, never, you never really get the sense of the power difference between them. The yeah, she's not would. a possession. Exactly. Whereas, um, whereas you kind of feel that with Carlotta and uh, the other guy, Bill Nighy's character, where yeah, well, they're also p such powerful personalities that they kind of, they're, even though they're aligned, they're never, no one's quite dominant in that relationship. I feel like for book versions, the Argento, Raul, and I still hate saying anything good about the Argento version, um, that Raul is still probably, he makes the book Raul make the most sense, and that's because it's a very strong actor. Um, this Raul is, Richard is a well-written character. If he's, he's a Raul or a manager or a Raul-manager hybrid, it doesn't matter. He's still, like, you kind of like him, and you get why he's doing it. Exactly. He's not... He's, a, he's his own character. He's, a, he's, he's like a, a para Raoul. P-A-R-A Raoul. Yeah, he's never going to like look at you and be like, you're going out like wearing that. Exactly. Sweetie, people are going to think you're a slut, and I've got an image to uphold. You know? He's not some elitist prick. He's a guy who genuinely cares about Christine and like is worried about her, especially during that whole... Like, I think... Another thing I like about the the graveyard scene in this is just how much it really encapsulates that that the Raoul character, essentially the love interest, is powerless to try and stop Christine going with the Phantom. Yeah, 
Because, like, the Phantom's mind control that ensnares Christine also, like, works against Raoul. Like, he's physically blocked from helping her. Exactly. But it's never, like, he's an idiot and he's blocked. It's just, like, the circumstances are he can't get to Christine in time to protect her. Yeah, exactly. And it's, once again, he's not, like, I feel like the the Andrew Lloyd Webber Raoul totally, like, won't let you leave the house if you don't match him. Seriously. Yeah, so it's it's none of that. Um, yeah, tr- Christine's a trophy to him more than anything. But, Meg's uh, fun. Meg's uh, fun in this version. Meg's, Meg's actually interesting because it's not the gen- generic kind of little girl character that we've always seen. It's, mm-hmm. it's it's an adult woman who is friends with Christine. Although I don't, what is her thing? Is she like an assistant or is she just like the best friend? She works at the boarding house where Christine stays or I think that's the case in the 1880s version in the 1980s version they're I want to say they're like classmates or something or they're yeah or like something. you know she obviously plays piano very well and has the skills to negotiate a contract so she's some kind of music educated as well she's just not a singer right she's a she's a companist kind of thing yeah um yeah, you know, if, if you're going to watch a version of The Phantom of the Opera, this is not the most book accurate, but to repeat, like, it's not a bad watch. It's entertaining. It's Exactly. It's not, it doesn't go by the rest on. of it, but there, it, it's a good enough dish on its own, right, that, it does, that you're not worried about that. I mean, it's definitely kind of like the 80s slasher yeah. version, but when I say that, I don't feel like that gives it credit for how intelligent it is. It's a, it's, as far as slasher goes, it's one of the best. It's one of the best story-wise, and there's much more to it than just kids getting killed by a you know psychopath kind of thing. Yeah, well, the makeup is reminiscent of Freddy, and some of his right. lines are reminiscent of Freddy. Like he I makes like very much like they definitely want to play up the fact that for like I think even let me pull up his uh the IMDb for the box because I think even on the box art and the poster. They bring up the. They emphasize the fact that he is Freddy. Uh, yeah, I, I don't feel like. I mean, I feel like his character is much more subtle and a different kind of twisted than Freddy Krueger is. Because once again, Freddy Krueger is just a damn cartoon. Oh yeah, Freddy. Especially after that first movie, he became a cartoon. Okay, uh, let me. Pu- he, uh, Robert Englund was Freddy. Now he's Phantom of the Opera, the motion picture, an all-new nightmare. And even the box, the box art plays up the fact that he's Freddy. Yeah, no, you, it totally, it's totally reminiscent of like a Freddy cover. I, I, so, I get that. I just it's it, that's but that's all the fault of the marketing and the idea that oh we can't we have to sell this in a way that people will see it. Freddy's popular. Let's get Freddy Krueger to to put on Freddy Krueger style makeup. And we'll call it Phantom of the Opera. It feels very reminiscent of what the Canon Pictures Golan and uh, um, Globus did. I, I, but I will say, if you go into this wanting Freddy of the Opera, you're not getting that. It's it's not cheesy enough to be Freddy of the Opera, but it's, it's not not accurate enough to be a full on Phantom of the Opera. It's like it's it's this weird mix of the two, where you get a higher minded kill, you know, slasher gore movie. You still do get a lot of those, like, horrible 80s montages, though. Yeah. Like, look, it's glass and the same horse, like, coming around a corner, like, 14 times, because we knew that we could only afford the horse and carriage this one time. Yep. (laughs) And it's even worked into another scene from a different angle. Oh, my God. Anyways, yeah, and some of the transitions between the the stuff happening are... 
it's really these cheese. Yeah, exactly. But it's never, it's not, it's, I think it's all, the, the problem is it's not cheesy enough to be like the other Canon Pictures style movies where they're just so crazily cheesy, but it's also not accurate enough to be like a, to be held up as like the definitive fan of the opera. Yeah, and I'm going to bring up Hellraiser again. There's enough shots and like character things that, reference Hellraiser and like it kind of makes me wonder like I think Clive Barker would make a really good Phantom of the Opera. Is he still kicking with us? I thought he what? Pa- I thought he passed Clive away. Barker? No, he's still alive. Shut up. Shut your whore mouth. We've been losing so many people I'm never sure anymore. Double check now I'm scared. No he's fine. Yeah, he's, he's still fine. around. He's fine. Apparently he also produced Gods and Monsters. Yeah I knew he was involved in that. I did not know that. Anyway, yeah, I think Clive Barker would make an interesting. If, Family, not, if, if he could not, take um, it, it's not an adaptation, could, but I think uh, something along those lines. Yeah, if he could something take like it this. like away from like some of his monster stuff and try to make it like more of a human piece, I think he could do something really good. Like let's let's get the Clive Barker definitive Phantom of the Opera. There you go. Someone get hit. Someone get him on the horn. And I feel like he could manage interesting something enough more, shots to make. Yeah, I think something like, like I remember watching Candyman not that long ago, and I remember it being a really good horror movie before it went all kind of cheesy, crazy with the bees at the end. Like, yeah, it's that's kind of the problem with a lot of Barker's work is it'll have these elements or two. It's kind of like Stephen King, and it's exactly. like you're just a little too into yourself at this point. Like, just take a step back, and it's it they're is great. Fine storytellers just about until they get the end where they want to throw in Johnny Monster! Wooga, 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 wooga. See, but the first Hellraiser ends so beautifully. That's... I, it's still probably one of Barker's best films. I... There's some other ones that are just bad. Candyman! The Candymans I enjoy, too. Um, but, you know, I have Phantom of the Opera stuff, and I have Hellraiser stuff, so that should probably tell you what my horror fandoms are. All right. Uh, I think we've kind of covered everything. Is there anything that you want to add, John? Uh, no, other than I just, you know, I enjoyed this way more than I thought I would as like the Freddy Krueger Phantom of the Opera, which isn't really what it is. I mean, there's like elements of like the closest thing he gets to Freddy Krueger is he says some one-liners and he's got, um, you know, a weird meatball face. Yeah, meatball head. Yeah, you know, it's like three ninety nine on Amazon. I, I don't regret spending that to rent it's it. It's free on Tubi TV, which is where I watched it. T-U-B-I-E TV is an app, and they stream stuff with commercials. I don't know if they have a paid version where you can pay to go without commercials. They may. I watched it on that. Um, it was it was good. It had it was decent streaming quality, and I yeah you know, I was able to watch it with only little. And the commercial breaks were. About where you'd see, expect them to be on like a TV production, but they never, okay. which, they still never lost anything. All like, right, I'll have to check that out. Like it wasn't edited down like a TV version would be, but to me, TV is all right. It's an interesting um, a, a source for streaming stuff, especially I think since it offers a lot more lower quality stuff, stuff that you wouldn't necessarily find on Amazon, Netflix, and Hulu. Well, okay, if you paid four bucks to see this, would you feel ripped off? Not really. No, it, it was a it was a fun ride. I, I don't know that I'll watch it again, but it's hard to get me to watch movies again anyways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I, like if someone wanted to watch this, I would show it to them. Yeah, I'd be like, okay, I've got it, let's go. I'll show it to them, but I, unless it was, like, maybe around ha- Halloween and it's time to do horror movies again, 
when a time when it's like that horror movie time, then I might pull it out. But otherwise, it's you know, it's it's a decent film. You know what happened to my version of Dario Argento's Phantom of the Opera? Oh, do tell. So when I was packing up to leave Dallas, my friend Melissa found it. She's like, I love Julian Sands. I didn't know he was in a Phantom of the Opera. Oh, no. And I'm like, it is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It makes the room look like poetry. But if you want it, you can have it. Just call me when you watch it and I'll apologize again. And she's like, no, I love Julian Sands. He's really sexy. And I'm like, well, the fuck scene in this will be good for you then. So have fun. I, I don't know if she's watched it. I should probably... I bet that's why she hasn't talked to me in weeks. Anyways. <laughs> why did... Why we, Why were we friends? Why did she allow this to to enter my house? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I let it enter your house because it gets it out of mine. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's how the horror passes on. Well, it's, yeah, have you ever heard that, uh, what's the guy that wrote the all the Alaskan, like, husky stories in the turn of the century? Yeah, there's a Jack London short story about this vase that was brought to the world by the devil, and you have to sell it for cheaper than you bought it, but the whole time you own it, you have, like, remarkably good fortune. But if you still own it when you die, you're going to hell. Ooh, that kind of sounds like that stupid Wish Upon movie. Yeah, it, it gets to the point, like, some guy bought it for, like, three pennies. And you have to also tell people what they're buying. You can't just give it to them. They so, still like, have to buy it. So whoever buys it for one cent is, is fucked. Yeah, you're just going. So, yeah, it kind of, yeah, it's kind of, I feel like that's what's happening with the Dario Argento case. <laughs> uh, Here you go. Here's, here's it is for free. I'm not going to hell. Yay. I'm not going to hell. I'm not going to hell. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> All right. Well, once again, congratulations to Donna. Thanks very much to Josh. Our, uh, he wants to be the Red Death uh, research or something. I'm God. I'm a fucking idiot. Sorry, Josh. Anyway, anyway. yeah. Anyway, shout out to our our, our number one fan. Yeah, and I might let him post to the group on Facebook because I'm a lazy fuck. And hey, if he, and hey, if you get some enjoyment out of it, all the better. He's never into it. Like, I think he can answer your questions about anything Phantom of the Opera. He is an, an encyclopedic font. He is oh, the, he is the definition of fan, P-H-A-N. All right. Anyway. I'm going to let this go. I'm going to let this go. Um, please learn the lesson that if you have a meatball face, you're, you're probably about a one or a two. You're going to have to stick to like threes and fours. Don't, don't go for the Christine eights. You'll be okay. And uh, don't don't try to sell me your monkey heads. I know they're monkeys. I know they're not human. I'm not paying $15,000 for your monkey head. I wouldn't pay $15,000 for a human head. They're they're worth like they sell in the like 200,000s. Exactly like so 15,000 like oh, I only to give it to you for 15,000. Yeah, it's like I, I want to can, can he sell you those magic beans too? Yeah, I think he was like trying to convince me a Swartzky crystal was a diamond, so <sighs> sometimes okay. it would be easier if I was stupid. Anyways, alright. Life, life, life usually is, although your money is easily parted from you. Alright, I'm Vanessa. Don't kidnap any women out of opera houses. I'm John Bailey, and uh, use a regular mask. Don't skin people. Good job. Alright, bye. <laughs>